Good morning. If you can hear me, clap one time. If you can hear me, clap two times. If you can hear me, clap three times. Well, it felt like camp. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Kathleen, and I am a member here at Elevation, and I am so delighted to be standing here this morning and to be part of a church where we can vulnerably share our stories. I am thankful to Mark for what he shared last week. And I am so, so, so thankful that he was able to do that because Elevation has created a culture of curiosity, has created an ethos where we can bring our whole selves into this brave space and share how God is working in our lives. I'm also thankful that you've created this culture of curiosity because I have to confess that I'm not quite certain of what I have to offer this morning. I'm honestly not certain of many things anymore. I have found that the older I have got, the more life I have lived, the more education I have received, the closer I have come to Jesus, the less certain of things I have become. What I know now is how little I actually know. Has anyone else experienced something similar? Thank you. <laughs> I want to invite you to take a minute to consider were there ideas, were there values you had when you were younger or a young adult, a year younger, a decade younger, two decades younger, that you were adamant would not change? I remember being young and stubborn and mouthy <laughs> and positing my ideas and my views and, and hearing older people say, oh, when you... When you get older, that'll change. And me being, no, it'll never change. Are there things for you over the years that have changed? I asked some friends and colleagues the same question. My friend who is a doctor shared that she had held the view that harm reduction robbed people of a higher level of recovery. And she was pretty adamant about that for a long time. But now, she sees that it has a place and that it saves lives. Another friend said that they never understood when they were driving on road trips in the car and they'd ask their parents to leave the music on, the parents would say, no, we need some peace and quiet. And they're like, when I'm older, when I have kids, I'm going to let that music play. She says, no, I get it now. <laughs> Another friend answered olives, explaining that they used to hate olives. They could never, ever imagine liking olives, never allowing one to ever pass their lips again. And yet now, olives are one of their favorite snacks. And we're going to come back to olives a little bit later. When I was younger, I would speak with such confidence and admittedly, probably some arrogance. I was certain of what I was saying, adamant of my positions, 
unwavering in my views. All of it, I can say, was offered from a heart of love. But it was wrapped in pride and ignorance of how much I did not yet know. I have to confess that if I could, I would go back and tear up some of the messages that I preached years ago. And most of them I would change. If I knew then what I think I'm beginning to understand now, I would not only change what I had to say, but more importantly, I would change the posture in which I said it. I would move from a posture of certainty to one of curiosity. Which as I consider the scriptures through the lens of Jesus, that seems to be the transformational shift that we're invited into. A move from our fortress of certainty to the open field or the pasture, if you prefer, of curiosity. One that can feed our faith, and deepen our relationships with God and all others. I don't know if you feel like this, but certainty can feel a, like a little bit of a security blanket to me. There's an element of comfort, of stability in certainty. And yet I still fear getting it wrong, which is itself perhaps a crippling and controlling byproduct of certainty. Because scripture reminds us that perfect love casts out fear. We can cling to our preconceived notions and beliefs, thinking that they define us and keep us on the right path. But perhaps what certainty does is enslave us and imprison others. The religious elite of Jesus' day often fell into this trap, clinging to their interpretations of the law and tradition without question. A certainty that they held that contributed to and created enemies, including making Jesus an enemy. In the Gospels, we witness how the religious leaders of Jesus' day, certain in their interpretations of the law, became adversaries of Christ, of the Christ. They were so entrenched in their convictions that they failed to recognize the truth standing before them. I found myself wondering, are there times where I am so entrenched in my convictions that I have failed to see Jesus in a moment, in a person, in myself? Jesus challenged their rigid dogmas and legalistic interpretations of the scriptures. He invited them to question their certainties and to consider the broader message of God's love, grace, mercy, compassion, and justice. And Jesus challenged them not to engage in a debate or an argument or to win, but in an effort to set they and others free from the captivity of their certainty in order to draw them into deeper faith. Last week, Mark shared with us the story of the woman caught in adultery. 
the religious elite, were so certain that she deserved to be stoned. But Jesus challenged them, saying, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And this was, as Mark said, an invitation to move from a posture of judgment to one of grace. And with these words, Jesus invited them to question the certainty of their own righteousness. And he prompted a curiosity about their own hearts. So it wasn't only a shift from judgment to grace, it was from certainty to curiosity. Imagine the transformative power of that. A shift from a posture of certainty that holds others captive to a posture of curiosity about our own faith journeys, our own motivations, our own fears, biases, guilt, what's going on in us. A curiosity that can lead to our own liberation as well as the liberation of others. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus confronted the certainties of social, societal divisions. The religious elite's rigid views were challenged when Jesus praised the compassion of a Samaritan, a member of a despised, judged, marginalized, oppressed group. And through this story, Jesus invited them, and so to us, to question our prejudices our preconceived notions, our biases. To be curious, to be less certain of our judgments and more curious about others. To engage in a profound exploration of God's boundless love. During COVID, when we were still able to meet, but still wanting to be cautious, The faith community that I was a part of participated in a thing called Dinner and Discussions. In a place, in place of our larger gathered worship services. And so as part of this, small groups of masked individuals would come with their lunch to our fellowship hall, sit at socially distanced, diverse tables, where they would then hear a brief message and engage in an open group discussion similar in part to what you do after the service. Here the discussion could be on anything, anything to do with the message or the scripture text. Often it was about a concern of the day or a pressing question. And there was really only one rule. You cannot tell somebody they were wrong. You cannot defend your certainties or debate their point of view. Instead, you were invited to maintain a posture of curiosity by only asking questions. You could only ask questions of the others. And over the course of this practice that went on for months, people shared how appreciative they were for this because it allowed them more than anything else to get to know someone else on a deeper level. It gave them understanding and insight into why they believed the things they did. And even if their perspective didn't shift, their postures did. It increased in them compassion and grace, and it inspired more curiosity. 
I would regularly encourage, and I would encourage you, as you are listening, to not take my word for anything I say. Don't take my word for it. To be curious and ask questions instead, to push back, to test anything that you hear and consider it for yourselves. To take the meat and leave the bones. I can say a lot, and people will tell you I often say too much. But up here, what I have to say is really insignificant. Anything I have to say should simply encourage, encourage more curiosity and a deeper search. I'm hesitant to offer answers. I'm hesitant to say, thus saith the Lord. One of my favorite phrases of Jesus, at least one that has been capturing my attention more recently, is a phrase that he utters six times in the book of Matthew after he has shared the Beatitudes. And he says, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. It's a phrase that continues to convict and encourage me, that I continue to, to wrestle with. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. What are the things that I have heard? What are the things that we have heard from religious leaders, from our family, from our friends, that we hold with certainty, but Jesus tells us? You have heard that it was said, but what is Jesus saying? You have heard that it was said, but what is Jesus demonstrating? There are things that we have been taught, things that have been passed down to us as certain truth, but my curiosity now leads me to intentionally sift all of this through the lens of, but I say to you, through the lens of Jesus, through Jesus' example, through his beatitudes, through his love, through his grace, through his mercy. In Matthew 5, 21 to 22, for example, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I'm curious about that. Here Jesus seems to be challenging the mere observance of the law and instead invites curiosity to look deeper into our own hearts, to be curious about the root causes of our actions, to explore the underlying emotions and motivations that lead to anger, that lead to division, that lead to war, and as a result to then seek reconciliation rather than judgment. The other thing I noticed about Jesus when it comes to curiosity is that he, he didn't always provide these straightforward answers. There's so many things in my life where I can't just open up the scriptures and there it is. The answer I was looking for. Instead, he encouraged his followers to explore and to discover deeper truths. He offered parables that left them often with more questions than answers. Parables veiled in mystery. 
inviting his followers into curiosity, to search for deeper understanding, to engage with the teachings in a way that required more than mere passive receptivity. It was an invitation to transform both their certainty and uncertainty into a fertile ground for a deeper faith. Jesus also asked a lot of open-ended questions like, who do you say I am? And those questions were meant to encourage self-reflection, a deeper understanding of our faith. This is part of the journey. We know for ourselves, as I mentioned, that the scriptures do not provide clear-cut answers for all situations, for all of our struggles at all times. But it often invites us into curiosity, into self-reflection, into deeper understanding of God and of others. And maybe that's more helpful than answers. Perhaps curiosity is the beacon that guides us on the path of spiritual maturity. Which brings me back to the olives. Has there been a food for you that you used to hate but you now like? Anybody have one of those? Foods they used to hate but they now like? Me too. Although tomatoes I have always hated and I will always hate, I am certain of it. They are of Satan. (laughs) There is a good reason why our tastes change. When we're born, we have 30,000 taste buds. And as we age, we lose some of those. Adults end up with about 10,000 taste buds. You shed some of your taste buds. So once you hit your mid-20s, many people find themselves more able to enjoy things they once found less palatable. And as I read that, I thought, oh, I hope that's true of my faith. That as I mature, I'm able to appreciate a greater breadth and depth of diversity of opinion and perspectives and personalities. Then I got to thinking about something people say to me when they see me. I've lived a lot of different places, been a part of a lot of different communities, and often when you re-engage with people you haven't seen in a while, they're like, oh, it's so good to see you. You haven't changed a bit. Why do they insult me like that? My hope is that when I re-engage people, they have seen change, that I'm not the same as I once was, that my own views, my own perspectives, my own attitudes, my own opinions have changed as a result of my exploits of curiosity. Please, if you see me after a, a period apart, don't come up to me and say you haven't changed a bit. Be like, you seem a little more mellow, Kathleen. You've chilled out a bit. You seem a little wiser. You seem a lot more curious, more gracious, more compassionate, more open, a better listener, less judgmental. Please don't tell me I haven't changed a bit. As I've gotten older, I have unlearned some things and I have a lot more to unlearn. I have shed some taste buds, as it were. And I have come to find that certainty for me is less of a comfort, less of a security blanket now, and more of a prison. Certainty builds walls based upon what we think we know. 
It draws lines that divide us, keeping some in and others out. Certainty contributes to animosity. It can create enemies and lead to conflict, not just on a global scale, but even within our own churches, within our own families. And as I think about that, as I think about certainty and the effects of certainty, I'm curious, what if we're wrong? What if our certainty is a type of certainty that would keep us comfortable? What if our certainty is a type of certainty that would keep us comfortable shouting, crucify him, stone her, shun them, judge them, chastise them? What if our certainty keeps us comfortable saying those things and we're wrong? What if our certainty keeps us resistant to recognizing not only the needs of others, but our own as well? What if our certainty keeps us so outward focused that we're not looking inward, that we're not curious about what's going on in here because we're too caught up about what's going on out there? We're too certain of what you're doing wrong and not curious enough about what's going on in us. In the Gospels, Jesus offers us a different way. He demonstrates that faith is not about certainty, which is really a duh moment, right? Faith and certainty, they seem almost antithetical to one another. And yet we've married them together in the church too often. Faith is not about certainty. It's about the courage to be curious. Quoting Peter Enns, a faith that remains open to the ever-moving spirit and new possibilities, rather than chaining the spirit to our past. A faith that welcomes opportunities to think critically and reflectively on how we think about God, the world, and our place in it, rather than resting at all costs on maintaining familiar certainties. If our certainties are keeping us comfortable, they might also be keeping us crippled. Jesus encourages us to ask questions, to seek understanding. He shows us with his own life that the path to restoration and reconciliation of all things, the way to a deepening relationship with God and all others, is not through unwavering certainty, unwavering trust in God, but not unwavering certainty in our own ideologies and ideas, but rather through open hearts and inquisitive minds. We live in a world today, and I don't need to tell you because you live it, you feel it, you're here today under the weight of it, a world marked by division, polarization, and war. And still we are called to follow Jesus' example. It is through our willingness to ask questions and truly listen to one another, to create spaces where we can share our truths, where we can share where we are in the journey, where we look to see beyond our preconceptions and judgments. It is in doing this that we can build bridges instead of walls. Curiosity leads to empathy. Empathy leads to compassion, and compassion 
leads to the restoration and reconciliation of all things. I want to remind us that Jesus never once says, blessed are the certain. Not once. Blessed are the certain, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. You won't find it. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Not the peacekeepers, the peacemakers. For they shall be called children of God. I want to close by suggesting to you that peacemaking starts with curiosity. With a willingness to understand with a commitment to love, even those we might perceive as enemies. Would you pray with me? Creator, I thank you for this community. I thank you for the ways they are curious about you, that they are wrestling with the things of you, that they invite questions, that they make space for people to question. I thank you for, Lord, the leadership and the ways that you've been working in and through them to help us wrestle well together. Lord, help us to be curious about what is going on in us. What is going on in us when we are so certain that we are led to judgment? when we are led by fear, when we are led by our biases. What is going on in us? Help us to be curious, God. Reveal to us the ways that you are inviting us out of the captivity of certainty into the liberation of curiosity. God, help us to listen well. We have heard that it was said over and over and over again in our podcasts, in our conferences, in our Bible studies. We have heard that it was said, and we're thankful for wise and discerning leaders, God, but may we bring it back to you and listen. Listen for your spirit. Look for your example. Consider what you have already revealed to us. Keep us curious that we might deepen in our faith, and grow in our love for you and all others. In Jesus' name, amen.